Welcome to the International Door Association's DoorCast. The ITA DoorCast will provide news and notes from the building and remodeling industry and tips and tidbits to help you improve your business. Now, here's your DoorCast host, IDA Executive Director, Mike Fisher. Welcome to the IDA DoorCast. This is Mike Fisher, Executive Director of IDA. I'm here with Nick Percheroni today. The topic of our session is investment planning and strategies for small businesses. Nick Percheroni is a senior partner with the Integrated Financial Group. What we're going to talk about today is how you can learn important information about investing in today's unprecedented times, how to improve your financial outlook as a small business owner, or for your own personal finances. Nick, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, hi, thanks, Mike. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me. So, Nick, uh, I know you are a credentialed uh, financial advisor, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we talk about your role there, I want to ask you about your background. How did you get into the investment counseling, investment management business? Sure. So my undergraduate degree is from SUNY Oswego in upstate New York, and my master's from SUNY Cortland, also in upstate New York. My undergrad was actually in economics and finance, and my master's, I actually got certified to be a school teacher, which is how I started my career. Did that for six years until the recession of 2008, 9, 10. So with my prior background of economics and finance and the new skills I had developed being a teacher, it made sense to move into the financial advisory world where I could use my transferable skills from education to educate now clients on finances, investing, and retirement planning. Thanks. So Nick, just to make sure everybody's up to speed on this, you also are in the role, you and your firm are in the role of serving as IDA's investments manager. Yeah, correct. Uh, We were brought on last year to manage the operational reserves funds uh, for IDA and also the scholarship fund for IDA. And we're happy to have you on board to partner with IDA. Why don't you tell us about your company? Because I know it's not just you. Yeah, sure. So the name of our company is the Integrated Financial Group. We founded this group in 2020. I'm the senior partner there. Uh, We have five client-facing advisors and two staff members. We decided, myself and a few colleagues, we decided to form this group a couple of years ago because one, we had all had some of a working relationship together where we had clients that we had worked together and some projects that we're working on together. But we also have very similar uh, philosophies and what we believe in and how financial planning should be done. So the reason why we chose to call ourselves the integrated financial group is the principles of what we believe to be the best laid plans have to integrate all facets that are related to financial planning, such as not only the investing component, but you know, helping folks and businesses budget, do their tax planning, uh, other forms of business planning, healthcare selection and cost, estate planning, all the different various insurances, whether it's commercial life, disability, home auto, et cetera. So you know, again, to have the best laid, whether it be investment plan or retirement plan or spending plan, we really have to know and be able to plan with the client based on all these different areas that end up intertwining together. Nick, I know you have a relationship with Prudential. In fact, I think you were formerly part of the Prudential team. Tell us how IFG and Prudential work together today. Yeah, correct. So when I first started my financial practice, uh, I was pretty much known as, you know, Nick Percheroni at Prudential Advisors. 
So our relationship with Prudential, Prudential is my and uh, for all the advisors in our group, what's called our broker dealer. So every financial advisor, financial planner, uh, or anybody with securities and insurance licenses has to have a company which those licenses are active with. And that company is referred to as our broker dealer. They provide us various supports with our business, help us navigate all the different industry regulations that there are and compliance issues that we have to deal with. Thanks for sharing that background. It sounds like you're in a really good position to help IDA as we look to grow our reserves and and keep the scholarship fund growth happening. It's been very successful in the past and we want to continue to grow on that success. Nick, our audience includes our core membership group, which is independent garage door dealers. We also have individuals who could be employees of our members, as well as our supplier members, larger corporations, including manufacturers and service providers. Will our discussion today really be of impact to our entire audience? Yeah, great question, Mike. I believe it absolutely should be. Uh, you know, Many of the concepts of financial planning, business planning, uh, et cetera, you know, overlap. What, so whether you're you know, the owner of a business overseeing all the operations or you're on the ground employee of the company, a lot of these uh, concepts and strategies that we're going to discuss today will apply regardless of what role you're in. If I am a door dealer and I've got profit that I made this year and I decide I'm going to set it aside and safeguard it, I can put it in the bank. Why isn't that enough? Why should I be reaching out to an investment manager like you for my business or for my own personal finances? Yeah, great question, Mike. And that's a question that we get a lot. You know, when we're talking about places to put money like a savings or checking account, money market, or CD certificate of deposit, those are okay places to put money. However, perhaps not the only place to put money as one of the largest risks with doing that right now is inflation risk, right? So we have uh, year over year inflation right now running in the seven and a half percent range uh, year over year, which is the highest reading since 1982. So uh, a very high inflationary environment. So if your money does not earn interest wherever it is, then chances are that $1 today is not going to be able to buy you know, $1 worth of goods one year from now. It might only be 92 cents or maybe a little more, maybe a little less, depending on what good or service we're talking about and the, you know, how much those goods and services are inflating. All right. So if I had to ask you this, which sounds like a basic question, and I guess it is, tell me what is financial investing? Sure. So financial investing is looking at ways where you can have your liquid assets increase in value over time uh, as opposed to you know your earned income right so when we're talking about financial investing we're talking about different investment vehicles where you can grow your money in the form of unearned income where you can continue to either work for your business or run your business depending on if you're a business owner or employee and have your earned income so you want to have multiple sources of income working for you over time. When you say working for you over time, it sounds like there's a little bit of strategy involved. So are are there different types of strategies or different places where you want to set money aside? Yeah, great question. Absolutely. You know, there is just a vast world of asset classes and and specific types of investments, right? So uh, the traditional types of investments that maybe most folks have heard about would be things like stocks, bonds, 
mutual funds, and then you know some of the CDs and money market accounts that we had just mentioned a moment ago. So with the traditional investments, you know, like stocks and bonds. So you know, what is a stock? Well, stock is essentially you putting your money into a partial ownership of the company through buying shares. And what you're looking for there is for those share prices to increase over time. And another way to, to earn uh, money through stocks is if that stock is uh, in, in a company that pays a dividend, right? So you might be paid one, two, three, four, five percent 5% a year, somewhere in that range, uh, just for owning shares of that company's stock. Another traditional popular investment that, again, I think most folks have heard of is our bonds. And that's where, you know, essentially you're putting your money with debt of company in which for providing that company, you know, I guess in layman's terms, what is a loan, right? You're, you're essentially playing the bank where you're going to receive an interest rate for that. So you're going to get a dividend typically between one to maybe as high as 5%, depending on the type of bond. And then mutual funds, which... Uh, of course, are very popular. You'll see them in your 401ks, your IRAs, you know, 43Bs, your group-sponsored plans. Um, and mutual funds are a way to invest in baskets of stocks or baskets of bonds so that you don't have to select them all individually. Because you, we're talking about stocks, and now you're talking about mutual funds, which is a collection or a, a basket of stocks. What's the advantage to a mutual fund over a stock in terms of risk, I guess, is the question. Yeah, great question. So, Essentially, the more stocks you own, the less single stock risk you're going to carry, right? So a mutual fund, you know, might have uh, anywhere between, say, 40 to 100 individual stocks in it if it is a stock mutual fund. So comparing, say, buying one mutual fund or investing in one mutual fund compared to investing in one stock protects you a lot from just one company not doing well. Um, that way you can have maybe a handful of companies in that basket of securities that doesn't do well. But if the overall basket of stocks does do well, then you know, have, have a higher likelihood of, of success. So is that a little bit of hedging the bet, so to speak? Yep, absolutely. Uh, hedging, right? Not placing all your eggs in one basket. That old analogy uh, still comes into play. Wonderful. So I've heard a lot lately about what some people call alternative investments. And one of the big ones we hear about is, is cryptocurrency and also Bitcoins. Tell us a little bit about those investments and what role, if any, they play in your practice as well as in the world of investing. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. That's certainly a, uh, you know, a, a, a current hot topic when we're looking at alternative investments uh, like cryptocurrency, which Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. And there's some other alternatives as well like in the commodity space, for example. But first with cryptocurrencies, you know, they are relatively, at least historically, a very new thing, only been around for about a decade or so. Uh, and what they are, are essentially digital, think of them in layman's terms as digital dollars, right? Digital currency. Nick, what other investments are out there? And I would be remiss if I didn't start by asking you about Bitcoins. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. It's certainly a question we've been getting very frequently in the past uh, year or two here. Uh, so with alternative investments, which cryptocurrency, uh, I would put into that sleeve. Uh, first of all, I do have to disclose, you know, cryptocurrencies currently to date are not a regulated security. So they are as about as alternative as it gets. But with a cryptocurrency, they are essentially their own currencies, right? So what is a currency? So the US dollar is a currency. The peso is a currency. The yuan is a currency. So we have these new digital currencies because they are not tangible. You can't physically touch them, right? They live digitally. 
uh, are a way to hedge against maybe whatever is your native currency, right? So if you want to hedge against the dollar, you could, you know, buy Bitcoin, which is more of a thought of as a global uh, currency. Definitely a new space, a very volatile space. Not quite um, many would say it's not an established investment or currency. Again, the jury's still out on whether it's an investment or a currency. Uh, so says the SEC. But then you have other, uh, I guess, more uh, common or um, other alternatives that existed for longer. So in the commodity space, we'll have gold, silver, copper, um, oil, natural gas, and even things like soybeans, corn, and wheat. Those all fit into the commodity space. Uh, they usually fit into the alternative sleeve of investments. And again, all types of investments, whether we're talking the traditional stocks, bonds, or we're talking alternatives like um, a, a cryptocurrency or any one of the various commodities, they all carry various levels of risk and may not be appropriate for all investors. You know, with any investment, whether it's alternative or, or traditional, I think it's very important for the investor, you know, the person investing in money to have some level of understanding and education on what it is they're investing in and how those investments function and their associated risk. Nick, are you saying that if an investor doesn't understand the investment, they probably should steer clear of it? As a general rule of thumb, you know, well, I'll say that's where if we see mistakes, it usually comes from an investor making decisions without having the proper information in advance. So this is a newsflash. You are suggesting that investors should actually be informed and educated on what they're doing with their money. Yeah, you know, so for our business practice and, and, and specifically with my education background, we build in the education component when we're looking at uh, an, uh, analyzing one situation and providing recommendations. We make education part of all of the different sequences of planning. So an informed investor is more likely to be successful? Largely speaking, it'd be hard to argue otherwise. Absolutely. Great. Thank you. So let's get into some nuts and bolts now of investing. And this has been a great setup, I think. We hope that we're coming out of the pandemic. It's been a really crazy couple of years, obviously, and that's been true on the investment front. And yet a lot of the financial markers that we look to, we look at housing starts for our industry, for example, the housing industry is strong, despite the supply chain issues we've had. And for a lot of people, their real estate investments have grown significantly during the past couple of years. So, so there are some really good things that have happened during the pandemic. And yet we still find ourselves in a situation where there's a lot of uncertainty what's what's going ahead. So as we start talking about how your firm interacts with your clients, we, we have to take into consideration that we are in turbulent times and some would say this unprecedented times, which gets overused, but I still think it's relevant. So how do you take a client through this process of developing a plan to invest post COVID? Yeah, great question, Mike. And, you know, really step one is elementary. Some of the stuff may sound you know, we run into folks, whether they're just starting their career or have been in their career or been running their business for, you know, several decades. Step number one, absolutely, is uh, the first question we'll ask is, you know, do you have a written, defined plan? Uh, that is ultimately step number one and, and the most important thing that someone can do uh, if they haven't done so already. So, you know, step one, think about, you know, what are your goals? objectives that you have. And usually we'll, we'll formulate that question specifically to say, hey, one year, three year, five years from now, where do you want to be? Where do you want your business to be? And start thinking about some of those short-term objectives. And then of course, what the overall overarching long-term goal is going to be. So 
very important to clearly state those things. Many folks maybe have thought of them, but you know, writing them down on a sheet of paper, again, as elementary as that may sound, is, is very, very important. So once we have those clearly stated goals and objectives, then we can begin formulating a plan, essentially action steps to achieve those things, right? The creation of a plan. Our steps, broadly speaking, and again, I could probably teach a four-year course on financial planning and, and probably still not scratch the surface, but broadly speaking, the, the steps of financial planning that we engage in with clients is one, gathering information. Again, clearly outlining what the goals and objectives are for that client, coming up with the plans and recommendations, implementing those recommendations, and then make sure we have scheduled ongoing review and revision, which every single one of those steps, especially the first and last ones, right? Step one, stepping up and creating the plan. And then the final part, which isn't really the end because there's never really such thing as an end of a financial plan, is the ongoing review and consistent revision. Uh, not just making planning, you know, kind of a honeymoon period thing where, you know, you get it done, but then let it fade over time. It really has to be a consistent ongoing process. Thanks, Nick. There's a, a saying that failing to plan is planning to fail. Does that apply here? Uh, yeah, couldn't, couldn't say it better. Great. So as, as we try to pull in these concepts and, and topics, can you maybe walk me through some examples of different strategies based on how people invest and even perhaps by their age and where they are in their careers? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, kind of where we first started, you know, again, you're going to have your, your earned income, your working income from your, your job or your business, uh, but then to also have money that you leverage to work for you alongside of you, right? That you're not necessarily earning, it's going to be your unearned income bucket. Again, the earlier you can start that, the better. So here's a quick example, and this is better, um, better shown on paper, but if we assume a seven, let's assume someone's, uh, we have three different folks, we're going to use Jack, Jill, and Joey, okay? We're going to assume uh, the same assumptions for all of their monies, meaning they're going to earn 7% on their money, which if you look historically for the stock market, the rate of return is actually a bit higher than that, depending on the time period that we use. So 7% is certainly practical. And we're going to assume that all of them invest $200 per month. The difference is at what age they start investing. We're going to assume that they all grow their money until they are 65 years old. So they're going to invest $200 a month at a certain starting date. They're going to earn 7% of that money. And then we're going to look up at age 65, how much money they would have cumulatively in that account. So we're going to start with Jack. Jack is 25 years old when he starts investing. So he's going to invest for 40 years. He's going to invest $200 per month. And if we assume that 7% earnings on his money at age 65, he will have just a bit more than $520,000 in that account. Our second investor, Jill, same scenario, but she's not going to start investing until she is 35 years old. So she started 10 years later than Jack, still contributes to $200 a month, still earns the 7% of her money. When she turns 65 years old, her portfolio is going to be approximately $245,000. So only half of what Jack has accumulated approximately. And then our third investor, Joey, he's not going to start investing until he's 45 years old. So 20 years later than Jack, 10 years later than Jill, still $200 a month, still getting 7% interest on his money. And when he is 65 years old, he's only going to have approximately $100,000. So 
you know, that just illustrates the importance of starting as soon as possible, having a disciplined plan that you stick to and investing consistently as early as possible to let your money work as hard as it can for you. Because we all know that as a business owner or key employee or just a really good hard worker, uh, you know, our earned income is super important. But man, if you can leverage another source of income, and have that grow for you as much as possible over time, you're going to be that much better off down the road. I think that's a really good way to explain the value of starting early when you're looking at retirement planning, especially. We're talking about retirement planning here for individuals, but we're also talking about managing the assets of companies. So there's actually two different, I think, two different sets of goals and plans that you're here. So when you talk to a, to a small business owner, you're looking at this from both, both of those prisms. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, a lot of the same, a lot of the concepts apply, whether we're talking about, you know, employee, business owner, individuals, families, whatever the case, you know, when we're talking investing, you know, there's not necessarily a one size fits all formula, but the strategies and concepts tend to be the same. This is ultimately determined by a few factors, you know, as for when we're looking at how a person or business should be investing. And these few factors come down to time horizon, meaning if we're going to put money away for something, when does that something come up? When do you need to access those funds and use them for purchase or business growth, whatever you're going to use that for? So that's time horizon and also risk tolerance, right? So, you know, there's no silver bullet. Typically, the higher the rate of return that you look for on your invested monies, the more the value of that account, those monies are going to fluctuate both up and down as these variable investments change in price over time based on different factors that are happening in the market. So, you know, a few of the key principles, again, that span across all types of investors, whether you're an individual investor, business investor, is discipline, diversification, and dollar cost averaging. Those three principles are the three key kind of undisputed uh, heavyweight champion principles when it comes to investing. So discipline, meaning you have a clearly defined strategy and that you stick to it. Diversification, again, not putting all your eggs in one basket, right? So you want to have multiple asset classes, different types of investments where you're putting your money. That way you're hedging your bet. And three, dollar cost averaging, meaning if at all possible, you don't want to just dump one big lump sum of money into your investments all at one time. There are some advantage to spreading out how often you invest your monies over a period of time. That way, you know, you're know you not necessarily buying at a high price uh, of those investments. And what we do for each client is, again, there's no one size fits all formula. We take the goals, objectives, balance sheets of the individuals or businesses that we're working with and come up with a customized individual plan that's going to fit their needs and lead them to successful outcomes. Quick follow-up question on the discipline. We talk about asset allocations. We talk about, you know, having a, you know, different types of assets in your portfolio, et cetera. When you talked about discipline, you said you, you have a plan and you stick to the plan, but that doesn't mean you keep your investments in the same location. Doesn't it mean also from time to time, we're going to shift your assets. So while you're not necessarily keeping the same investment buckets, you are building that kind of nimbleness into the plan. So you're working the plan, but the plan sometimes means you're going to be making some shifts in where you put your money. Yeah, absolutely. You're referring to the ongoing 
review and revision of not only your plan, but your, you know, your investment portfolios. Again, a, a, an easy way to think about how to invest monies. Again, this works for individuals and for businesses. So it's easier for us to explain the clients in terms of having three buckets of money. And what we mean by that is we're talking more or less about your duration, your time horizon, right? So we have short-term, mid-term, and long-term buckets of money. So short-term, again, generally speaking, is usually money that you're looking to have access to or uses for in the next you know, three to 12 months. Typically, you're going to want to take on no to very low risk on that money. So that's maybe where the money markets, you know, maybe short-term CDs, very short-term bond investments will come into play. That way, you're very guarded against heavy losses, but can still earn some form of interest on that short-term money. Then your midterm bucket of money, that's going to be for maybe low to moderate risk. You know, maybe that's going to have some more mid-duration bonds, maybe some very conservative dividend paying stocks and could also hold some of those money market instruments in there as well. And then your long-term bucket is the monies you're really not looking at touching for say five, seven years plus. And that's where the investments that are going to carry the most risk should be again, generally speaking, right? So, you know, whether let's say your stock portfolio goes up or down over the next 12 months, isn't that important in the short term for your long-term bucket? Because again, you're looking for those long-term higher rates of return that they provide, even though they carry more volatility in the short term. And again, discipline, diversification, uh, and dollar cost averaging. And, and, and just to elaborate, elaborate a little bit on the dollar cost averaging, what that refers to is buying investments in set periods in an ongoing fashion. So again, another quick math example, and I'm going to break this down into um, very, very elementary hypothetical. Let's say we're going to buy a stock of company ABC. And company ABC's stock price right now is $10 a share. So let's say I have $100 I want to invest, which means I'm going to buy 10 shares of this company ABC at $10. If I just buy it all, I invest all that $100 right now at $10. And then for the rest of this year, the stock goes down to $9 in value, but then comes back up to $10 in value. I've broken even, right? I bought all my shares for $10. They're worth $10 here a year later. So I didn't make or lose money. I still have my $100. Scenario number two, if I was the dollar cost average in that same scenario, so maybe I put, I buy one share almost a month, right? So I buy $10 worth today, $10 worth next month. I'm still going to invest $100. If that ABC stock, which starts at $10 today, goes down to $9 in the middle of the year and then back up to $10, just like in scenario one, even investing that same $100, I've actually made money now because all those purchases of ABC stock I was making around $9 have made about 11 or 12% coming up from $9 to $10. So on some of those shares, I was profitable. I didn't lose money on any shares because I never bought above $10. So uh, again, the principle of dollar cost averaging helps hedge your bet a little bit to make sure you're going to get the average price of a stock over time. And when you're saving money, dollar cost averaging the vast majority of the times is going to help your returns, not hinder your returns. Thanks for that clarification, Nick. And when we were talking about the decision-making process, you were talking about objectives. And I'm going to give you two scenarios now. One of them is 
for personal finances. And the other one is, of course, for our scholarship fund. So we have a scholarship fund at IDA that is intended to provide regular payments for our scholarship winners. And at the same time, if you're looking at retirement funding for individuals or for families, you're obviously looking to have money set aside that will grow and create enough reserves so that you can draw income from that. So both of those cases, we're actually looking at taking money out of the investments for those specific uses. How do those two things compare? How do those needs fit into the planning that you provide for your clients? Yeah, great question, Mike. And again, you know, similar concepts apply. So whether we're talking about managing a scholarship fund where there's going to be um, you know, consistent monies withdrawn for providing scholarships, or we're talking about the individual investor or the business owner, right, who's going to have expenses and, and, and needs for money from time to time. Within, let's say, one account, for example, the scholarship fund, again, eggs are not going to be on one basket. So within that investment or really any investment where we're talking about an individual investor or, or business owner is we're going to have short-term investments, mid-term investments, and long-term investment, uh, long-term investments. And within each one of those three buckets of money, there's going to be multiple asset classes as well. So for example, to use the short term, yeah, we'll have some, you know, plain Jane cash and that'll be for just the very short term liquidity needs uh, of that fund, but maybe also have some six and 12 month, you know, CD like instruments or very short term bonds to get a slightly higher uh, short term interest rate. And then on the long end of that, right, because we're not going to you know, deplete uh, this one fund within the next 12 months, we're going to have this fund you know, forever. We want to make sure that for you know, the growth of this fund over the long period of time, we're definitely going to want to have that long-term bucket as well, where again, we have multiple riskier assets that are going to have those higher rates of return. Because of laddering together these different risk classes and, you know, again, kind of looking at it in, in the three buckets method, that when we're providing distributions for whatever the cause is, is we are able to select where is the most appropriate place, the most appropriate bucket, short, midterm, or long-term, to provide those distributions from. It may be the case, and again, this, this concept goes for the individual investor, investors as well, it may be the case that if our long-term bucket, those riskier assets are doing very, very, very well, even though they're meant for the long term, it may make sense to take some of the distributions needed from that long-term bucket to make sure that our portfolios are not getting out of balance, right? Because if you have, you know, let's say you have 30% of your money in your long-term bucket, that 30% might become 40% because of how much they're growing compared to the short term. So maybe taking some of the profits in the short term might be an appropriate strategy. Now, on the flip side of that, if we're in a time period like we are right now, where risk assets typically are not doing that well, we have the S&P 500 down approximately 10% in the year 2022, then that's where we're going to lean on those short-term asset classes that don't carry that short-term fluctuation risk and uh, you know, take the distributions from there. So, we, so we've got some options. Again, that's why the diversification and time horizon aspects of investment planning are, are very, very important because almost regardless of what the markets are going to throw at us, uh, we have a strategy to make sure that the account's going to continue to grow and that we're not going to do harm by having to sell assets at a lower value than what we bought them at originally. Thanks, Dick. So Nick, what you've teed up is really the importance of having that scheduled ongoing review and revision. 
Yeah, absolutely. Again, a super, super important part uh, of planning is, is making sure that you continue to revisit and revise that plan as needed. So just again, these concepts, whether you're a manufacturer with hundreds of employees or a small family-owned business with five or six employees or an in individual, whether you're a technician, a salesman, the same concepts apply, don't they? Yeah, largely speaking, the same concepts apply. You know, we follow a very, very similar process. Uh, again, whether we're looking at an individual investor uh, who, you know, goes to work and, you know, has the, you know, the quote unquote nine to five, uh, very similar concepts and strategies and processes apply to that individual as they would, you know, maybe someone who owns multiple businesses and has hundreds of employees. Now, you know, the intricacies, of course, are, are going to be different. There's going to be uh, more facets to look at. But again, the process we follow, largely speaking, is going to be the same and a lot of the same investing uh, concepts uh, in disciplines and uh, techniques are, are going to overlap. So balancing the goals, the financial goals with the risk is fundamental to this planning. Yep, absolutely. hundred percent. So let me just see if I can restate this again to make sure we understand that having an appropriate risk strategy should be an important part. It should be really a foundation of every investment plan. Yeah, we would argue it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a non-negotiable piece. Again, when we're looking at successive plans, you know, these, these concepts, discipline, diversification, uh, dollar cost averaging, appropriate risk strategy, planned well, that will enable one to achieve their goals and objectives. However, without that, unfortunately for clients that have come to us when they don't have those plans, unfortunately, we get to see some stakes and shortfalls that they could have planned better for um, previously. This has been an eye-opening discussion we've had today, Nick. I want to thank you again for coming on board. Before we sign off, how can our members, how can our listeners get in touch with you? I would suggest visiting our website, which is Integrated Financial CNY, as in Central New York, uh, where our firm is located, integratedfinancialcny.com. When you visit uh, that webpage right on the top right corner of the homepage, you will see a contact us button. You click that button, you'll be able to put in your uh, first, last name, phone number, and email. There's a drop down for which advisor of the five advisors we have in our firm that you want to contact. You know, in the drop down, you can select Nick Percheroni, and then there's a spot for uh, general commentary or questions uh, to let us know. Maybe just you know, quick introduction of yourself and your situation. Any specific questions, and we'll um, myself uh, or one of my staff members will get back to you within a business day. Wonderful. This sounds like a great opportunity for our members. Our guest today has been Nick Percheroni who is a financial advisor and a senior partner with Integrated Financial Group. So uh, Nick came on to talk to us today about investment planning and strategies for small businesses. Nick, I can't thank you enough for taking time today to, to help educate our members and our listeners. Yeah, Mike, and again, I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to you know share our story and some concepts that will hopefully be able to provide some value uh, so that the members of IDA can continue to prosper in this uh, volatile environment. Nothing wrong with sharing success, is there? Absolutely, Mike. Uh, you know, successful outcomes is is the end result of what we're looking for uh, in supporting all of our clients. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thanks again, Nick, for coming on today. And I'm looking forward to talking with you again soon. Looking forward to it as well. Thank you, Mike. To our listeners, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We hope you enjoyed today's 
IDA Doorcast, and we hope to see you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the IDA Doorcast. Be sure to catch our next episode. For more information about IDA, visit doors.org. See you next time.